Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Amen. Everybody say, I'm making all things new. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's making all things new. Amen. I love it. Hey, it's good to be with you. It's good to see you. It's good to worship next to you. All those good things. Um, Man, the Lord is good. Turn around and look at some folks. Just look at them. Turn around and just look at some folks. You know what I'm saying? I'm just giving y'all an excuse to do some legal people watching. So now it don't look weird. Because the pastor just said you could look at people. Because when y'all, you know, you were, you make all things new. And you was all up in full face. Now you can just look. You know what I'm saying? You could just look. You were like, oh, who's singing the good notes? And then you were like, well, who's singing the bad notes? I'm not even going to tell you which direction folks are looking for the bad notes. You know, we'll just leave that for your interpretation and holy imagination. Yo, it's good to be with you. If you have um, not been with us, then you um, wouldn't know. But now I'm telling you that we've been in a series, right? We took about two months to walk through Uh, eight verses that we believe we needed so desperately. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take two months at the beginning of next year's school year, and we're going to take eight more verses, right? Because Christians need to be about the business of encouraging themselves, that there are certain things that belong to us because we are believers in Christ, because we have been united to him through faith, that certain things are true or indicative of of us and to us because of his finished work. And what we don't want to do is like you used to do when you were eight years old and the first time y'all went to Ching's Wings on Park or whatever that is, you know what I'm saying? And your mama and them took y'all to get the wings. And the first time your mama got you the honey gold and you was eating on the honey gold and you were like, mm-mm-mm, that's good. And then you put that wing down, you went to the next one. And if you had a good parent, then your mama said, uh-uh, child, you better pick that wing back up. Because there's some meat left on the, okay then somebody, I'm preaching, but you're not preaching with me, okay? And what we can ill afford, first of all, you know, when you're on a budget, you know, and them wings cost you about $2 a wing, girl, you ain't finished with that wing, you better pick it back up. Mama, I'm done. No, you're not. You're not. But what we can ill afford to do as a body of believers who are surrounded by a world that is opposed to the kingdom of light is we can ill afford to leave promises in the cabinet. We can ill afford to leave truths that belong to our souls to bring it peace and to bring it joy and encouragement. We got to use everything in the heavenly arsenal to make it through to the end. Can I get an amen somebody? And God has left us the word, so we want to encourage ourselves. We want to be about the business. We know we're not, this is not a campaign to ignore pain. We know life is hard. We know we need people and places to process. Sometimes we need to invite professional people to help us process the traumas of our stories. Amen, somebody. Sometimes we need a little medicine to help regulate what's going on between the brain in there so we can understand some things a little better, right? We know we need prayer. We know we need to be about the... Listen, if you have heard me, and and we've said this, I've intermittently throughout, that really I I need y'all to have a plan. 
You are prone to anxiety. You know what the Bible speaks so much about anxiety? Because we're prone to it. We're prone to excessively worrying. That's why Jesus is always talking about not worrying. Because it's not a rebuke as much as it is a call to action. It's like, hey, man, let me just bring you back. When you feel the worry start to get up in your throat, when you start to go to the refrigerator for the fifth time in five days and pull out a whole gallon of ice cream, now I want you to return to the what's true. I want you to return to the word. I want you to return to prayer. I want you to turn to processing things healthily that lead to my glory. And so we have these eight scriptures. This is the last one. And... Uh, you know, really, I think my, my hope for this scripture, it's, it's, it's not really easy to memorize, or at least it's not. It don't have the mnemonic devices. It's not kind of smooth. It kind of is just join it. Behold, the one who is, who is seated on the throne says, you know, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write these things down because they're trustworthy and true. I think what I really want is a bunch of people throughout the year who just walk around, hmm, and just reminding each other, he's making all things new. Jared, he's making all things new. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's making all things new. We're preaching out of Revelations, which I told y'all before, is really not the scariest book in the Bible. It's probably far from it. Lamentations really took the cake for me. That thing was like watching Saw times a million. That thing was dark. It was dark, man. It only had like one positive stretch in the whole five chapters. That was the darkest book to be in the whole Bible. Revelations is not so. She's got so much victory. And what we have here is we have John, who we call the revelator, right? He calls himself God's servant in the opening uh, prose of the, of the book. And he, he's sitting down. He's on the island of Patmos. And he says he receives this vision from the Lord. And first of all, I, I got corrected as I was studying. Let me just offer you a couple of big things. For some good biblical theology, read um, God's Big Picture. Just write it down somewhere. It's a good book. It'll help you. Obviously, everything the Bible project does is dope. And if you really just need some, some short, concise, uh, um, um, brief understanding and outlines and contours of the books of the Bible and certain narratives, the Bible project probably does it as best as, and it's so digestible for us, right? It's just, you just need to often refer to it. And, and if you are someone who likes visuals, they even do their outlines um, with visuals um, and, and animation. I think it's just really good. Um, but anyway, so what we have here, John the Revelator, he's sitting on the island of Patmos. He, God has then downloaded a vision to John. The title of Revelation is not Revelations. As I often, oh, y'all turn to the book of Revelations. No, it's one revelation given by the Lord Jesus. Okay? One revelation given to, the, to John by the Lord Jesus. Now, what happens is the revelation, this vision, is then kind of the way that it's composed. It's composed as a letter just like the rest of the epistles. And it's circulated amongst seven churches in Asia Minor. All right? Now, it was a vision. Uh, and it was a different kind of letter. And the reason why most people get stuck in Revelation 
is they get nervous is because they don't know how to interpret it. And here's why they don't know how to interpret it is because they don't really understand the genre, right? If you were going to uh, read Revelation, it would not be in the editorial section. All right? Uh, Revelation would not be in, you know, certain places, right? You, you don't read um, an article that's on ESPN.com like you would read Shakespeare because you know, you intuitively know those are two different genres, right? You don't read the sports ticker. You don't read the, the NASDAQ ticker that come across. You don't read those things the same because you intuitively know because you live in this time, space, and history that these are different genres. Let me just help you. Revelation really is marrying three different genres of Scripture. One, it's a letter, which means it's a what? It's an epistle. It's a letter. It's circulating amongst seven churches. It's an, it's an epistle, right? Secondarily, right, it's a prophecy. It is a prophecy. It is a part of the prophetic tradition. But the people who would have been in those seven churches in Asia Minor would have also known that it was a specific kind of prophetic literature that it followed in the tradition of the apocalyptic prophecy, right? And so when we talk about apocalypses, you know, immediately we start going dark, spooky, right? But actually the Greek word for revelation is what? Apocalypse. And what apocalypse is really just meaning, it's something that was hidden that is now disclosed. That's what it's getting at. Something you couldn't see, now, now it's made clearly seen, all right? Um, I'll read a more proper definition from a commentary. Apocalyptic prophecies feature revelatory visions within a narrative framework, and they utilize symbolic, figurative, and metaphoric language to interpret present earthly circumstances in light of supernatural heavenly realities in the future. This is like, according to the Bible Project, when God pulls the curtain back on something that you previously could not understand. And so this apocalyptic prophecy that was circulated amongst the seven churches in Asia Minor was written to challenge Christians who were under um, Roman oppression And he was meant to challenge the ones of them that have fallen into apathy, right? Kind of just lethargy and, and, you know, kind of just fitting in or, you know, a little despondent. Don't really know. They're kind of forsaking the Lord in certain ways, right? Whether it's belief and practice. It's meant to challenge those Christians who had fallen into apathy. And it's meant to comfort, comfort those Christians who were suffering really under the persecution of Rome. That's what the letter was meant to do. Now, let's just pause real quick and I'll get out the way. Anytime we, because we got to become better Bible interpreters. One of the, the, the first challenges of us, or one of the first tendencies, I think, for us as modern readers, is immediately we want to start reading ourselves into the text. That's, that's scripture error number one. Who was the letter of Revelation written to first? Them seven churches. So we got to see, we got to figure out what was this meaning to them first, and then we do the secondary work of applying spiritual truths that transcend throughout all generations that apply to us now. So we got to do original context work first. Everybody say original first. Now, Lex, let's put up these interpretive challenges real quick, and then we'll get into the preaching. Here are the main interpretive challenges. Basically, here are the 
here are the things that cause us a lot of tension, and here are where the arguments happen at Thanksgiving when y'all family talking about revelations, right? Uh-uh, and somebody throw the cranberry and the macaroni, and they, you know, say, uh, it ain't like that. And the dragon was this. No, the dragon is your mama. Oh, your mama is the beast, right? That's, that's where it all go wrong, right? Let's talk about it real quick. So there's three kind of main views. You got the preterist view. These would take the stance, they would believe that the events in Revelation would take place in the life of John in the first century audience. So when they read that letter, they would immediately think, oh, this is about to happen soon. The things that are unfolding, everything that I'm going to read in these 22 chapters, they're unfolding or getting ready to unfold. Next would be the futurist view. These are people that believe that the events in Revelation would literally take place in the future. Now, you would be like, oh, PT, that's what everybody believes. Well, I think the operative word here is literally. Because I will tell you in a minute that there's some people who believe that the idealistic view is that, oh, man, these are just big ideas. It's, it's, it's kind of telling a figurative story about the struggle between God and his ancient foe. Uh, futurists believe these things will literally happen, right? So this is, this is your grandma and your auntie who be counting the numbers and doing subtraction and addition. And, okay, no, it's this president. Oh, no. In 99, that's when it was going, okay, yeah, okay then. Y2K. This, yeah, that's them folks, the futurists, the literal. They believe they kind of narrow this thing down literally. But the idealists kind of believe that revelations is symbolically depict the ongoing conflicts between the forces of God and Satan throughout the church age. We are the church age. The, the, the time in between Jesus' death or his inauguration of the kingdom and when he comes again, we call that the church age, right? And so um, where are we? Listen, I don't actually know where I am on Revelations. Um, and so let me just tell you, I'm going to preach to you from this angle. I'm going to assume that there are faithful Bible expositors, people who have combed over the scriptures who both fall in the preterist camp, the futurist camp, and the idealistic camp. And I'm going to assume, and I'm just going to preach to you from a position of this today, that there are probably some faithful things about the preterist view, and there's probably some faithful things about the futurist view and the idealistic view, and there's probably some, some faithful thing, some things that are probably inaccurate about all of those three things too. But I think the one thing that they all agree on is that Revelations is a book about the struggle between God's forces and those that would try to oppose it. But it is the victorious story about how God triumphs over his foes and redeems his bride for himself. This Revelations is the ultimate hallmark movie. Revelations is beauty and the beast. Revelations is Snow White. God gets his bride, yo. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. You so, with that in mind, you should read that thing, man. You should read that thing because it's going to be so sweet to you if you're a part of his bride. Amen, lights and walls. I appreciate you. So let's get in it. What, what are we talking about today? He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Hey, y'all know this world is headed towards a, a conclusion. 
This thing will, you know, the swan song will happen at some point, and we are reading from Revelation 21, which is basically the conclusion of the canon of Scripture. Uh, it's the conclusion of the book. And all we want to say is because he's making all things new, we can continue to endure and to suffer well and build his kingdom because we know, if you're a part of his body, that this is not the end for us. And what we're going to do is just focus on three questions. Who's making all things new? And what does that even mean? You, know, you make all things new. How many of y'all were having an a, a exegetical challenge in your worship? How many of y'all have ever been in your worship and been like, oh, God, is that true? What does that mean for me? I'm not even sure. Can I sing this? Amen. That's, I want to tell you, that's good for you sometimes to be in the middle of worship and be like, I am a friend of God. Am I? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, go back. Work it out. You know what I'm saying? Find some scripture. Can you sing it? Yeah, all right. So who's making all things new? What does that actually mean? What does it entail? And why is it important? Let's go with who is he? Who's making all things new? Yeah, I take it God and Jesus. Let's just put it like this. The main symbol for John, our, our brother, the main symbol all the way out throughout this book is Jesus, the slain lamb. Woo! Revelations 5, that, that daunting question, who's able to open these scrolls, right? It's the lamb. He's the one who is able right? This scroll has these seven seals, and really all you need to know about those seven seals is that they contain God's purposes for history, right? Um, But these seven seals, they prevent the full disclosure and enactment of these scrolls. Who's worthy to open it? It's this lamb who was slain. He opens it, right? And then in Revelation 5, they also say that these elders are worshiping this slain lamb, that these four creatures worship this slain lamb, right? Revelation 13, 8, this lamb also has this book, He's got this book. We call it the book of life. And all those who have trusted him and put their faith in him, their names are contained in it. Who is he who is making all things new? It's this slain lamb, the one who's being praised, the one who's worthy to open the scroll. But this lamb is not just a a bad, not bad. He's not just that. He not Mary had a little lamb, but this lamb is also a king. Can I get a witness, somebody? This lamb transformed, right? He's also pictured as the rider in Revelations 19. Let's put it up on the, on the screen for us, right? Look, I saw standing open there before was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name. <laughs> he, He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Let's just pause real quick. I got to go back. Because he dressed in his fatigues, right? You know what I'm saying? He don't got the camo on. He dressed in all white. But something's real distinct about the the white robe. What's what's distinct about the white robe, y'all? Is it pure white? No, it's dipped in blood. See, this, this is the first Corinthians consternation of the cruciform life Sam preached about. It's because the victory has been achieved by spilled blood. That's why in this Pristine, all white. He's proud to wear the dippage of blood. 
Because that's how your victory came. He don't just show up in all white and looking better than you, but he's proud to wear them scars for you. Dipped in that blood. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with the iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury with the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's your lamb and that's your king. And if everything I said is not true, then we shouldn't be in this building. But it's only because that stuff is true as the sky is blue that we can face tomorrow. That's why this letter was written. Amen. We'll get it. I don't want to get ahead of myself. He conquers his enemies. Don't you see the gospel, y'all? He conquers his enemies by dying for them. And he has suffered and he has triumphed, and his death guarantees that all who suffer for him on this earth will also triumph. Everything in Revelations is being framed for us in the context of this big struggle. And we preached 1 John 5, right? This we have overcome, who have overcome? Those who have believed in him by faith, right? And so the context of Revelation is all these, these things, right, the imagery, the beast and, 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 and antichrist, all those things, these enemies that have, are waging war against God's people. And it also speaks often about Babylon. Let me just read for you real quick. What is Babylon? Babylon represents a non-Christian society organized without reference to God, the world like we talked about, overcoming the world in 1 John. She is called a prostitute because with her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. The adultery is a spiritual ra adultery rather than sexual. She seduces many to live for her rather than for the one true God. But Christians must resist her advances. Like the people of Judah in the 6th century B.C., we are in exile. Everybody say, we are in exile. We belong to heaven but we must live in a foreign land. Let's just pause right there. I just gotta pause, yo. We are prone to tribalism. Everybody wanna claim something. All you folks get mad at the little, little gang bangers in Memphis, fast cash, dirty mob, sneezy mob, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Everybody wanna claim some Bloods, Crips, MS-13, some. We're all prone to, we wanna find something and belong to it. We want to find our crew. But you know what we do? What y'all get mad at the little gangbangers for, it's the same thing you do. You want to ride with your little political party. You want to ride with your frat or your sorrow. You want to ride with your school. You want to ride with your city. Oh, I, man, I love it. One thing about Memphis, you come to Memphis, you immediately feel the Memphis pride and love. Amen for that. I applaud you for that. Bro, do you know where we really belong, y'all? 
our identity now as God's children, citizen of heaven. We will not be screaming 901 in glory. That might hurt some of your feelings, but I want to tell you right now, all other affiliations will be eclipsed in the presence of our King. Even it pains me to think, well, what's going to go on with me and Gina? I won't even be worried about it. And that is so unfathomable to me. But do you see where we're headed, y'all? We are not citizens of this place. We are in exile. Turn to your neighbor and say one more time, we are in exile. We belong to heaven, but we must live in a foreign land, Babylon or the world. It will often be hostile to us, and it will be tempting to us to compromise and go along with the prevailing spirit. I have tried to tell you over and over and over again that what the enemy is trying to do to us is either to seduce us away from our heavenly citizenship or trying to crush us to believe that our heavenly citizenship has no value. That's what's always happening to you. It's either better over here or what you got over there don't mean nothing. Y'all, it means everything. But we got to resist the temptation to go to bed with the prostitute because she is headed for destruction. What I want to tell you about Babylon is simply this. It, I do believe, obviously I told you, I believe I'm, I'm, I lean more to a mixed interpretation of Revelation, which simply just means this, that every generation will have its Babylon. And every generation is going to be trying to be seduced away from understanding their kingdom citizenship or have that confidence broken. But the slain lamb is going to overcome Babylon. That's what Revelations keeps. It's a cyclical cycle of God trying to warn people and invite people into relationship with him. And then they kill his prophets. They kill his servants. And then all of a sudden, he overcomes Babylon again. And this thing will happen until he returns. The slain lamb and the suffering king will overcome the world. But the slain lamb and the suffering king, he's not just going to overcome the world. He's also the beautiful architect of a brand new world. And he's eager to give it to those who trust in him. So what's he doing? This slain lamb, this king who is, had his robe dipped in blood, he's also making all things new. Everybody say, PT, what that mean? I'm finna tell you. First of all, what he's doing has already begun. 2 Corinthians 5, right? If any person be in Christ Jesus, uh, behold, he's a new creation. And what? All things, old things have gone and the new is here. You know, my great privilege as a pastor is when I get a chance to marry some of y'all. And, you know, it's like usually, you know, y'all get married at different stages. You know what I'm saying? So, you know. Matt and Emily, they got married, but, you know, they, they were at a different stage in their adulting. So, you know, they moved. They actually live way out east, y'all, in them $6 million mansions. You know what I'm saying? They had stacks, stacks, big stacks. But the great majority of y'all who I marry, you know what I'm saying, some of y'all be having little holes in your tuxedo, you know what I'm saying? You got you get a little stain on your white shirt. You know, you just, hey, it's all right. It's all good. We just be, it's a struggle. You know what I'm saying? It's hard out here in these streets. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, you know, you, you, you know we, when we marry you, you know, the little hubbies, they got dreams of like, you know, but when I get it right, Warren, you know what I'm saying? When I get my money up, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to put you in that big thing, girl, you know what I'm saying? Why is God making all things new? 
you know, me and Gina used to really, when we was poor in a joke, we used to get in front of that TV. We used to watch all kind of makeover shows. Those are the only ones we could, we, you know, that was our thing we could watch together, you know. Sports, you know, we was on different sides. She liked this, she liked that. But, you know, we could watch a good makeover show together, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, you, you, know, you get the lady, you know what I'm saying? You get the cat, you know. Get, oh, man, we're going to cut your afro. We're going to cut your cornrows, cut your mullet. You know, cut your mullet, fella. And we're going to give you a new little dude. Matter of fact, we'll give you the, the, the fresh white boy dude with the swoop and the part, you know what I'm saying? We're going to do that. <laughs> you know that little situation, you know what I'm saying, right? And then, boom, we, we, put, we hook you up, and man, let us get you some new clothes, and, and whatever, whatever, and it's so cool. And then, you know, I always thought to myself, because they really make these people over, and they look amazing. I'm like, golly. But man, what is the purpose of you looking so dope, and then you go back and get into the hoopty? Hold on, man, my, hold on. You got to get in the driver's side from the passenger side. Hold on one second. And you got on your fresh J's and you know what I'm saying? But hold on, man, don't, you, you know, uh, you got to reach over the steering column. Like, that, that's not fresh. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, how many of y'all have delayed your freshness until you get the whole situation together? Come on, God. Come on, Tammy. I know you in here. It's like, man, you know what? I ain't going to really hit you like I really want to hit you until I get it all together. Oh, hey. You know, hey, I told Gina, I, Gina's like, man, you know what? They think I just like wearing casual stuff, but you know, I can't get suited and booted. It's in me. It's really in me. You know what I'm saying? But I can't give it to them yet, Sam, till I get it all. You know what I'm saying? I still pulling up in the Dodge Caravan. You know what I'm saying? So you know, you know what I'm saying? I got to wait. I got to wait until I get that situation. Till I step out. You know what's happening in Revelations? You know why Jesus is saying he's making all things new? Because he's remade his bride. <laughs> so he got to make a home fitting for her. He said, baby, I got, to, I got to put you in the big thing. I went, he told him in the gospel, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What husband, even if he ain't got no more peanuts, is working on something for his bride that they would be ashamed of? Oh, no. He said, baby, I'm going. I'm working on something. Even if this thing, Jordan Jefferson, they remake them houses. And, man, this thing, and Jordan, he'll, he'll take months and just do a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. But I just want to tell you, man, your hubby, he working on something big for you. He working on something big for you. And don't all of us want to be laced? That's a, that's a desire. It's like, you know, Gina wake up, it's her birthday. You know, there's a little bit, she, she has to fight with her expectations. Because she, <laughs> damn it, preaching. I told, Cope, where Cope at? I told y'all about the gym. You think you whispering, but you're really not. The whole church, we hear you. Jesus welcomes, he welcomes your desires to be laced. He says, I want you to daydream about what that day will be like. Spouses, and even if you daydream about the day when New Jerusalem comes crashing into our dimension, you will scarcely be able to scratch what it will actually be. It will so far exceed your expectations, it will be 
out of this world. Jesus is creating a perfect home, this Philip Riken, for which his lamb can dwell with him because this world is broken. I think I heard Philip Riken say also that this world, world is broken all the way down to the cellular level. That's how broken, and y'all know it. Romans 8 just says that the old world is in bondage to decay. It's all in growing pains and groaning and pains of childbirth. What I hope this verse does for us, if we would allow it, is to create a sense of longing. So many of us, we live in the hard spaces of the world and then we start settling. We just start, man, what can make me happy right now? And what can help me escape from the realities of my hard marriages or my, my tough uh, bouts with health or my childcare, or whatever the issue may be. We just want to kind of escape it for a minute. And Jesus says, hey, when I give you revelations, I don't want you to turn away from the ugly. I want you to sit in it. But I want you to wrestle with what we know to be true too. And I also want you to create, I want to create a sense of longing. Sometimes the motivation in Christianity or the lack of it is because we won't allow ourselves to long. We won't allow ourselves to long. Like, I, I mean, I, I recently I feel like I went through something really hard with one of my children. They had, they had a goal. And, man, we have been talking about a goal for months and weeks. And the moment that that goal started to be infringed upon or the moment that that goal started to be compromised a little bit, my child then created another goal that they thought was more attainable. And, man, my heart broke. I said, it's too early. You don't have to stop believing in that goal. Revelations is begging you, don't create another little thing. That, don't lower the goal you think you can dunk on. Stay with it, y'all. This thing is going somewhere. He's making all things new. Whew. The new can best be understood not just as a literal oh, we're going to get a whole new thing. I think the new can best be understood as this qualitative restructuring, not a complete demolition, but a, a rebuild, if you will. God will not make the new earth out of nothing like he did the original time. He's going to clean, sanctify, and he's going to redo the core, and things will all come out together better. And there are moments where we get just this glimpse of kind of utopia in our lives. I don't know whether it's you finally on vacation, you look out, you see the sunset, and you're like, man, this is, and I'm looking at Thomas, maybe it's when Thomas killed his 56 duck. <laughs> and he ain't got to worry about nothing. He's sitting out there in the cold at 3.30 in the morning talking about, hey, man, I bet my pastor would love this. And I'm like, no, I would not love it. But maybe it's those moments when it's like, man, this is, so, this is so dope. And you know what happens when we get those moments where it's like, man, this is so cool. What do we all have to do? We all know that it's probably going to end at some point. 
whether you are, there's just times where, you know, I'm kicking it with Gina. We just kind of laughing. It's like, man, is this 2022 or is this 2003? This feels like we were just goofing around, buying each other hungry howies, laughing at everything. It's like, man, I wish this wouldn't end. But then you know. Then you know, don't we? It's got to end. You know, one of the saddest things, I think, in our lives is we can reminisce, but you can't look forward with certainty, can you? You can't be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, man, what we did yesterday will happen again. That time, you know, you look at those photos when everybody gathers as a family, and you look at those pictures, and you can't say with certainty, oh, that group, that same collective will all be together again at some point. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are not relegated to just reminiscing. We can look forward with certainty and optimism that what we are experiencing is not all we will have and that better is always yet to come for us. I'm just going to blitz through these because I ate up all my time. There's just going to be so much new stuff. It's going to be a new Jerusalem. We talked about it. Revelation 21, read it. There'll be no sea in the new heavens and new earth. The sea in Jewish liter- literature just represents all that's chaotic. As a matter of fact, the great beast emerges from the sea in Revelations 13, Daniel 7 and 3. So there won't even be a sea in the new heavens, no earth. There will be no temple. Why won't there be a temple? The temple is a place where you go to meet God, but there won't be a temple in the new Jerusalem because there will be no special place in the new creation where God's presence will be concentrated. It will be everywhere. We, don't, we won't go to church in the New Jerusalem. There'll be no conflict. There'll be a healing of the nations. We'll have a new body. Revelation 21.4, there'll be no death. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more mourning, no crying, no pain. It seems to work out that every birthday, I always get the privilege of preaching somehow or referencing this scripture, that though our outward body is wasting away, our inward one is being renewed day by day. And in the new heavens and new earth, we'll, we'll see that renewed body. We won't struggle with sin. There'll be a new spiritual composition. We'll have a new relationship with God. We'll dwell with him and he will dwell with us and it will finally be true that we will be his people unadulterated and he will be our God. He'll dwell in our midst. In the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the earth, the great characteristic will be joy. There will be no sadness. I just think you need, this is the last scripture we preach for a reason because you just need to be reminded where you are going, there will be no anxiety. 
You won't have to take no trips to no pharmacist. You won't ever again have to get a visit with a counselor. You won't ever again have to wipe a tear. That's yours if you trust in him. This is why he says, this is why the whole letter was written, y'all, to people who were under oppressive Nero persecution and every kind of manner of evil. What's the best thing they could hear? The book of Revelations. This is a, a book for comfort. We scared of it. They were given to it. Hey, just hold on. You hold on. All this is yours. You hold on. And for every one of your buddies who get picked up and who's burned for, for, for prophesying or saying or professing the name of Christ, just hold on. You know, they're in a better place. They're dressed in white. They're a part of the great big multi-ethnic army. Hey, you just hold on. That's why he says, write it down. Why does your teacher tell you to write stuff down? Y'all know this. Let me help one of y'all out. Who in seminary, high school, middle school, all y'all, just listen. When the teacher say write it down, that thing going to be on the quiz. I don't care if you've been sleeping the whole 50 minutes. When the mug say write it down, you just... What? Say it again. Excuse me. Could you, could you repeat that one more time? Do you know that everything we are faced with Revelation speak to, and the refrain of Revelation 21.5, he makes all things new. It answers everything. The one who is seated on the throne says he is making all things new. It answers every question we have, every anxiety we have. Write it down. You know what they're doing? They're encouraging themselves. This letter is meant so that you can encourage yourself. Revelations is not... The Da Vinci Code. So please, when y'all, Pastor Tim, can we do a small group on Revelations? And y'all just want to do all the, hold on, wait, let's count. Get your calculator. Wait, three, six, seven. We're not going to do that at this church. Okay? We're not going to do that. Because what I, what I fear for you is if some of y'all take that angle, <laughs> you might figure it out and get denied admission. You might do all the numerology and miss the whole joy of rejoicing with our king forever. You know them folks? Be like in the barbershop. Then cuss everybody out, the barber, you, the kids, all everybody. And then all of a sudden, hey, man, y'all studied the book of Revelations because you know the beast in the Antichrist. Brother, brother, wait a minute. You think you go, what? You didn't cut that, what? Wait a minute. Don't do that, y'all. You got to read Revelations as a worshiper of the true and living God. From the angle of the bride, or you'll miss the whole point. So I was watching the Today Show, and uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, there was somebody off the Gulf who got stranded, and uh, they were doing some deep water fishing or whatever and got stranded off there, and Hoda and Savannah had them up there on the couch. And um, they were just like, man, what were you going through? What were you thinking about? What was happening? And uh, 
the guy was like, man, you know, there was a point I had a waterproof case on my cell phone, and, uh, but I couldn't get reception. So it was all this, and I was just thinking to myself, we were out there mo- dozens of hours. Um, he was like, man, Hoda was like, well, did you think you would ever be rescued? And um, he was like, man, you know, I wasn't even thinking about being rescued. I just started swimming. I was going to swim back to the little boat, and I was going to try to do this, try to make these moves. And I think um, as we in the church age live in this broken world, I think we got to make some choices. Are you going to swim for yourself? Are you going to be the person who sees the brokenness of this world? And you decide you're going you're to save the planet, you're going to save yourself, all your functional saviors. You're going to turn to all those things to provide your own self-value, identity, and hope. Or do you just stand pat and just, all right, I'm just going to wait to be rescued. I'm not going to interact with the world. I'm not going to live my life. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to be optimistic. I'm just going just to, I ain't going to do nothing. And I think there's a different path for the Christian. Those Christians... Those seven churches in Asia Minor, I think they got this letter so that they wouldn't be tempted to try to rescue themselves, so that they'd be comforted that rescue is coming, but they could also be challenged not to just do anything because they are a part of the winning team. And therefore, we move forward. I love that 2 Corinthians 5. You've been made new. I'm making all things new, and I'm making you my ambassadors right, to reconcile uh, men back to me. You know, you can't just listen to a sermon like this and just be encouraged, man, I'm so glad that one day it's all over, I'll be with him. No, this sermon should also say, hey, man, we're on the winning side and we need to be working. We need to be doing something. Our God is doing something and he has rescued us and he's provided us this encouragement that we would also participate in his redemptive work that we would be his ambassadors, that we would let everybody else in this world know that they could be a part of this great big rescue plan too so that they would have courage to know that God is making all things new on their behalf.